It's not easy staying awake because uh, life is so tiring. Could I get a witness? <laughs> so tiring. Traffic is tiring. Show me your hand if you're just tired of traffic. Me and every other man in the room, some of the ladies. I, I believe, no sexism intended, that ladies are generally kinder than men. And so uh, I'm not surprised that it's often men who are giving me the finger in traffic. In fact, I've never had a woman give me the finger in traffic, so case closed. Traffic is so tiring. Even on vacation, right? You're driving to the lake, and there's traffic on the way to the lake. So you're trying to breathe. You're like, I'm supposed to be calm right now, and I'm not. Traffic is so tiring. What else is tiring? Oh, yeah, Roger's bills. <laughs> I could say lots of things, but I'm just going to keep moving. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Interpersonal conflict is tiring. Are you amazed that like, no matter where you go, there's always somebody who hates you? So, so tiring. Right? It's not just me. I experience this as a preacher, of course, because I talk to lots of people on a regular basis, so I'm an easy target. But you experience this at your work. Right? Do you have a coworker that just doesn't like you? You try to be nice. You can't think of anything you did. They just, they just don't like you. Interpersonal conflict is tiring. So I feel like it crushes your soul. Like You're getting near the end of this year, and you're just like, ugh. I need a vacation to get away from this person. It's driving me crazy. Oh, it's tough, right? Interpersonal conflict. We spent the week at the lake with our family, which are like, usually that's really fun. And this year was pretty fun, you know. But there's still those moments where you have to kind of work through that latent tension that exists between people. It's so tiring. Making lunches is tiring. This is almost the best thing about the summer, amen? You're like, I got to do lunches no more. <laughs> We have four kids. You can imagine the assembly line. It's just a disaster. Every morning, I just, I want to sing like chain gang songs, you know, as I'm putting their lunches together. Lunches are so tiring. I'm tired. You too? Life is tiring. Lucky for you, Mark 13 has 22 ways and reasons to stay awake. Mark 13, 22 reasons and ways to stay awake. And he came out of the temple... And as he did so, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, He's such a downer here. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Great. Thank you, Jesus, for that uplifting missive. As he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, um, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, So this whole chapter it's cool, right? In the last several chapters, we've had like multiple sections, different teachings, different parables. This whole chapter is like one long soliloquy from Jesus. He began to say to them, uh, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake, but you'll stand. Let's focus on that. You'll stand <laughs> before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them, and the gospel will first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And every preacher said, thank you, Jesus. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. <laughs> Super awesome. <laughs> but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. That's crazy. Imagine what that might be like. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, the great hope of the church. And then he will send out the angels, this is very strange, and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Master of the house. Anyway. In the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. You thinking of Dory? <laughs> stay awake. Stay awake. Finding Nemo. 22-point sermon in 16 minutes. Hooray! Ah, okay, here we go. 22 points right off the top. I won't repeat them again, so pay attention. This is not going to last. So what should we look for? False saviors, wars, natural disasters, persecution, sorrows. But don't let it break you. Trust the Holy Spirit and be his witness. We're at point number 10 already because even if it gets really ugly, Jesus is going to see you through point 12. But make no mistake, point 13, we're playing for keeps here. And it's only the mercy of God that will win the day. Point 15, so don't trust no pseudo-Christs. But keep your eyes open. Point 17, because you've been given advanced warning that the end is near. Point 19, count on it. Point 20, so even though no one but the Father knows the day or the hour, point 21, keep your job in mind. Point 22, and live wide awake. We could all go home. Do you want to do that? Like a six-point, six-minute sermon. Maybe not. Point number one. First one, look, teacher, what wonderful buildings... Temple's pretty impressive. I've seen its remains. Even the remains are pretty impressive. I've crawled under the remains. Even the foundations are pretty impressive. I've crawled into a cistern that dates from Solomon's temple and scraped the wall myself surreptitiously so that the archaeologists didn't see. And even that cistern is pretty impressive. Okay, it's epic. The temple remains to this day are epic. It's epic. Wait till you see it. Those of you who are coming to Israel with us in May, 
You're going to lose your mind the day we go to the Temple Mount. You're going to go crazy. You're going to walk into the, 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 there's like gardens now on the southwest corner of the temple. You're going to see the spot where Solomon, it's bananas. You're going to see the Hulda gates and you're going to sit on the steps that Jesus stood to preach on. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to see, it's crazy. You're going to go down to the Pool of Siloam and walk up the Pilgrim Road like the pilgrim, pilgrims did. It's, it's incredible. Even today, it's amazing. Imagine what it might have been like before it was destroyed in AD 70. And bummer man Jesus, he delivers like George Bonks. He said, you know, um, none of this is going to last. He's doing two things here. He's kind of prophesying. He's kind of also being a theologian. Okay, he's prophesying because in AD 70, Titus, son of the emperor Vespasian, does show up in Jerusalem and raises the temple to the ground. Shatters it. Destroys it, crushes it entirely. So Jesus is prophesying. He's about to go to his crucifixion, so he's probably, you know, 30-ish at this point. So we're about 35 years from these events taking place. So he's prophesying, but he's also doing some good theology. None of this will last. Look, the Romans may not be about to trash your life, but live like the end is near anyway, because, point number one, none of this is going to last. All right, so don't count on anything but Jesus. That'll change your life. Take that one. Don't count on nothing but Jesus. Okay, point number two. So what should we look for? Well, verses three and four have a clue. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell me, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? When and what? When will this happen? What should we look for? Time and events. When and what? Time and and events. If you want to live wide awake, cultivate a deep and constant awareness of time. Okay, watch the time because you have a limited amount of it here in the Shadowlands. And focus inordinately on what you are doing with that time. Time and events. Time and events. The time that you have and the thing that God has called you to do. You have a limited amount of time here and everything you do matters. Especially when you consider the fact That time notwithstanding, you've been built for eternity. You have been designed by an eternal God to be his friend forever. So everything you do has, I mean, ripple effects that will literally last throughout all time. When and what? Fixate on how you spend your time and what you do with it. Live with passionate purpose if you want to live wide awake. And uh, be prepared for life to be pretty hard, but for Jesus to be pretty good. We're going to blitz through points 3 through 11 here. Be prepared for life to be pretty hard, but for Jesus to be um, pretty good. So why will life be pretty hard? Well, you're going to have to deal with false saviors, wars, natural disasters, persecution, and sorrow. Points 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. False saviors, wars, natural disasters, persecution, and sorrow. Let's unpack them real quick. False saviors, what's this all about? Well, simply put, for us, life is really hard when you trust the wrong thing. You experienced this? Can you test it? You're like, testify, preacher. You're talking to me, right? You've done this, right? I've done this. Put your trust in the wrong thing. Stop it. Don't trust no false saviors. Wars. What is this? Conflict is normal. It's constant. It's the human story. I'm reading like a far science fiction book. If you love books, Seven Eves. Have you read it yet? Awesome. I'm reading it for the third time this summer. Phenomenal. It's, it, yeah, you should check it out. I'll give you my copy if you want. 
I'm talking to Zach Wilkes, by the way, for those of you who are podcasting it, and Nordnet Reader, and Jesse too, right? You guys with your books. All right, seven E's. Far future science fiction, and even in the far future, like 5,000 years into the future after the destruction of Earth, we're still fighting. It's depressing, right? Conflict. We talked about that already. Natural disasters. What is this? Look, the world is broken, right? It's broken. The world is broken, and it's our fault. Like, <laughs> case in point, last year's six-month winter. <laughs> right? I'm sure the Lord did not intend for six-month winters. Like, really? <laughs> it's a consequence of the fall of man. Seriously, the world is broken. What's persecution all about? You know all about this if you're learning to, like, kind of express your love for Jesus publicly. Like, to be a Jesus person is kind of the least cool thing you could be these days. Persecution often arises from it. And sorrow is the result of all this pain. Life's going to be pretty hard, but um, Jesus, Jesus is pretty good. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm he. They will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, there'll be earthquakes in various places, famines, but these are the beginnings of birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. Literally, skinned, oh, is the word in Greek. Disaster. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Imagine standing before kings and governors with the skin skinned from your back, and even in that state, giving witness to the king of heaven. Woohoo! We got a way to go, don't we? We got a way to go, but you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. And then the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you will speak, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Ghost. Brother will deliver brother, father will deliver child, children will kill their parents. And you'll be hated by everyone for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Life is pretty hard and the end is going to be pretty intense. What's the point here for us? Uh, Don't expect life to be a cakewalk. But, point number eight, don't let it break you though. Okay, so just because life isn't a cakewalk doesn't mean you have to let it break you. This is what we see happening in verses 9 through 10. You're brought before kings and governors, skinned but still standing, giving witness to Jesus. And verse 11 is very clear. Do not be anxious beforehand. I thought this was maybe a rhema word for you. Y'all know what the concept of rhema word is? It's like when the Bible speaks like, pow, like right to your heart. So maybe it's not for you, but maybe it is, because when I wrote this, I was like, ooh, maybe this is for somebody. Do not be anxious beforehand. We always worry beforehand. That's kind of what worry is. Right? So stop stop worrying. Stop borrowing trouble from the future. Have you heard worry described that way? I love it. Who, Who wants to borrow worry from the future? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6, 34. We had to live that way this year. Literally, like, had to reduce our life down to one day at a time. Live sometimes one moment at a time, walking by the Spirit. The next time you find yourself in a situation where you've got to walk one moment at a time, don't be depressed. Just go, oh, this is, this is expected for God's people. And I have a helper called the Holy Ghost 
who's going to give me the strength and empowerment I need to do it to like literally one moment at a time. Trust the Holy Ghost because it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit, verse 11. So if you're one of his witnesses, here's the point. God will involve himself with you. So y'all know what's coming next, right? If you feel like God is distant, maybe it's because you're not really laying your life down for Jesus or his mission. Soccer punch. <sighs> so, point number nine. Trust the Spirit and be Jesus' witness because, points 10 and 11, even if it gets really ugly, Jesus is going to see you through. We see this promised in verses 12 through 13. Brothers giving up brother. Fathers killing child. Children are killing parents. Everyone hates you. And then here's the hope at the end. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's do some theology here. The word end is telos or telos. Okay, that's the word for end here in the original language. And telos means like the end of the end. The one who remains or who endures to the end of the end. So let's look at this through a theological lens. Who really endures to the telos? Well, he who has done all things well, in the words of Mark 7 and 37, I'll tell you who endures to the end. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is the final scene. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his heads are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Logos. He's the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friend, when it comes to ultimate endurance, let's pin our hopes on the rider on the white horse with fire in his eyes, a crown on his head, a secret name, a robe dipped in blood, an army at his back, a sword coming from his mouth, and a ruling rod of iron in his hand. He's the one on whom your salvation depends. I hope you're giving God praise in your heart. He's the one who was in the bosom of the Father from the beginning. He's the one uttered from the lips of the Father as the spoken Logos that framed the worlds. He's the one who was made man, incarnate of the Virgin Mary. He's the one who lived a perfect and a sinless life, fully fulfilling his Father's will, never sinning once, though he was in every way tempted, such as we are. He's the one who the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out to his Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. He's the one who was scourged. He's the one nailed to a cross between two thieves. He was the one upon whom the Father poured out his wrath at sin. He is the one who suffered and died in your place for your sin. He's the one who was buried. And he's the one who arose again the third day, triumphing over the power of Satan's sin, death and hell forever. He's the one who arose victorious. He's the one who ascended right in front of his disciples' eyes to his father's right hand where he sat down in victory. And he's the one who's interceding for you right now. And he's the one who will stand up from that seat one day to come again in glory, to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end. And he's the one who's been building your house in glory he's the one on whom your hope rests he is jesus christ 
and he is your dearest friend. He's your savior. He's your hope. He's your firm foundation. So points 12, 13, and 14. Even though we're definitely playing for keeps here, it's the mercy of God that will win the day. I could preach this morning. It's the mercy of God. So how do we know we're playing for keeps? Well, because all this talk about the abomination of desolation. What does this mean? It's very weird. The abomination of desolation. Well, it means a few things. Um, in 167 B.C., long before these words were written, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a uh, Greek king, conquered Jerusalem and caused an altar to Zeus to be set up in the temple. The Jewish people went so crazy that the Maccabean revolt, which led to the celebration of Hanukkah, erupted in response. Antiochus was such a pain in the neck that not only did he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple, but he caused swine and other unclean animals to be sacrificed in the temple. And God's people rightly went nuts. So when Jesus says the abomination of desolation, many of his audience, Jewish people, would have thought back to the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Of course, Jesus here is prophesying about the events of A.D. 70. I already said it when Titus, the son and future emperor of Rome, son of Vespasian, emperor of Rome, is sent to Israel to conquer it, and he lays Jerusalem waste. And so, of course, you can imagine the picture of young Titus, the conquering general, standing in the temple courts as his soldiers completely destroy it. When we go to Jerusalem, I'll show you a rock that was dropped from the top and fell right down. Well, actually, you'll be able to touch it. It's like right here. It's a rock that they just tipped off the top. And maybe Titus was standing there going, yeah, that's right. Burn it to the ground. That's the abomination of desolation. This is also, of course, perhaps the Antichrist who will be worshipped in the last days. What really freaks me out about the abomination, abomination of desolation is that it lives in my heart because my heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit and there are many false gods still lying there. So when I hear abomination of desolation, I think me. I think you. Because our sinfulness broke the world. Yes, it did. In those days. Because of our sin. Verse 19. There'll be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never again will be. We broke the world. You want to live wide awake? Be less evil. <laughs> the key to that is to copy Jesus. All right, you want to be less evil? Don't need a bunch of rules and regulations. You need to copy Jesus. Copy Jesus if you want to be less evil. Who, Jesus, verse 20, for the sake of the elect whom he chose, shortened, the days. I told you the mercy of God would win the day. Point number 14. I'm almost going to make it, Brian. The mercy of God will win the day. God himself shortened the days for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the ones like you whom he chose to be his adopted family forever. For your sake, he shortened the days. The mercy of God will win the day and blowing through points 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So don't trust no pseudo-Christs, but keep your eyes open because you've been given advanced warning that the end is near. Count on it. This is all outlined in verses 21 through 31. I'll just paraphrase it for the sake of time. It says, look, if anyone says, look, there's the Christ, don't believe them. It's a pseudo-Christ. I love that. In the Greek, false Christ, pseudo-Christs. Pseudo-Christs. Pseudo-prophets will arise. So be on guard. I've told you in advance. It tells you that a big tribulation is coming. The sun will be dark and it's cosmic. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. It's crazy. And then the Son of Man pictured in Revelation 19, shows up on the scene. 
to set all things right. He sends out his angels to gather his elect from the four winds. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means we're like flap, flap on our way to Jesus. I probably think not. Like it's probably poetic language here just saying he's going to get everybody that belongs to him. He says, look, remember the fig tree? Remember he just cursed a fig tree a couple chapters back? Remember the fig tree? When it shows you that summer's coming, summer's definitely coming. So when you see trouble coming, know that I'm near. I'm at the gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So when trouble comes, it means Jesus is at the door. Put a big smile on your face. Okay, when trouble comes, it means Jesus is coming also. (laughs) Very encouraging and very universally true. That's why we have the whole this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, we can load a triple interpretation on this. What does this mean this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place? Well, it can mean the original audience listening to his words who would have been alive in AD 70 when Titus showed up to lay the city waste. For sure, it could mean that. Uh, it could mean, as some scholars think, the generation alive at the eschaton, the generation who will be alive at the actual end of days. And I got no problem with that interpretation either, and I can square that with the first one. It may also mean, in the broadest sense possible, because generation here in the Greek sometimes means um, race, okay, in the broadest sense. So it's possible that he means here everybody who's ever seen trouble, and I really like that one. Because that applies to me, because I wasn't alive in 8070, and I don't know if I'm going to be alive at the end of days, but I am alive right now, and I have lots of trouble. Oh, you're in trouble. But Jesus is on the way. He's on the way. Point 20. So even though no one knows the day or the hour except the Father, which is what verse 32 tells us, and worship team, you can join me. I am done. There is a strategy to um, help you live wide awake. So no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son, not the angels, only the Father. Okay, so even though we're dealing with some pretty profound uncertainty here, there is a strategy to help you um, with this whole live wide awake thing. You're going to love this. Do your job. Do your job. Shout out to Bill Belichick. Um, Okay, it's like a man, verse 34, going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, stay awake. So friend, you may not be the doorkeeper, but even if you're the chef, live like you're the doorkeeper. You see? Even if you're the nanny, live like you're the doorkeeper. You're a school teacher, a lawyer, a pilot. Watch for Jesus. You're in the sky, so it's easier for you. Give us a little advance warning. Celine, I can see him coming on the white horse. Todd was right. It's a tattoo I can't read. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? No matter who you are, what you do, act like you're the doorkeeper. Keep your job in mind and watch for Jesus. And that's how you live wide awake. 